All right. Good evening, everyone. No. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. Okay. Hi, Table Church. Um, so before I get started, I have two announcements that I promised I'd share. Uh, next week, we will not have PM service, so don't come here. We only have AM service for Memorial Day, and then immediately following service, we're going to go picnic in Meridian Hill Park in uh, Columbia Heights. So you'll see an email about that come out this week, if you haven't already, and with more details as to what to bring and where to go. Uh, and then also, the next announcement is our all-in night. If you haven't been, who's been to an all-in night? All right, we need more of you to go. Um, they are, and I, thank you for those who've been, they're an opportunity for people to understand what leadership is like at the table, for leaders to connect, and then also if you're just new here and want to see what life is like around the table, uh, you should come. It's fun, we eat, we hear a good word from Kevin, uh, we might play a weird game. Uh, it's essentially just an opportunity for us to bond together, and the next one will be June 6th, right here in this building after work. Okay, so let's get started. What's today? Yeah, for the 10 of you who knew that, awesome. <laughs> Happy Pentecost Sunday, everyone. Uh, if you've been with us for a few weeks, you know we spent the last month or so uh, discussing the Holy Spirit within the sermon series. This week technically isn't a part of that sermon series, but by default, because it's about Pentecost Sunday, it is. So this will be the end, the official end of the Holy Spirit sermon series. Um, and so since we're talking about Pentecost, I figured I would start with a Pentecost story, probably one you've never heard, um, but it goes like this. Completely overwhelmed and unprepared, I showed up in a country to live for two years. I, my job was a bit ambiguous. I just knew that I was working with a group of people who had been abused for most of their life, and I was supposed to help make their life better now. I lived with incredibly poor people in an incredibly poor area of the country that I was serving, and I had, at that point, already been moved three times, had safety issues all the time, and had already been hospitalized twice. Needless to say, I was ready to go home. Right? We could do an entire sermon series on how I had the, or another story on how I had the privilege to go home and other people did not, but I wanted to leave that place. I didn't know what I was going to do. And then one day, I like to walk a lot, if you know me, I walk a lot. That's not a new thing. And I walked to work, like I did every day, and I was talking to God. I was pretty annoyed. I didn't know what to do. I was frustrated. I was sad. I was all of these things, right, just rattling off as I go. And I turned this corner. And I was walking, and I, I don't know how to explain it, but I was stopped. I was stopped at this corner, this familiar corner that I knew. My job was right down the street. And as I turned the corner, I couldn't go any further. It's like something was stopping me, but I was also stopping myself. It was this weird moment where not only did I stop myself, but I looked around, and it felt like it was a very chaotic corner. Everything also stopped. It was just a strange moment. And it probably lasted one to two minutes. For me, it felt like forever. And in that moment, God spoke to me for the first time in my life. I'd been a Christian my entire life. And I'd never heard very specifically God speaking to my heart in an audible way. Uh, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that 
I had my parents' faith for most of my life, up until I was forced to find my own. Uh, but that moment passed, right? And those words that were shared are very precious and intimate, so they stay with me. But the story is important to know, because after I left that corner, I knew two things. <laughs> One, that I was very much supported in that mission in what I was doing, and I no longer wanted to just cut and run. And two, that I could no longer, no longer deny God. Like, that was it. That was my, my turning point. And that corner is insignificant for everyone in the world except me. Right? No, God has spoken to me many times since then. But I will always go back to that corner in that country. Now, what, eight years ago? That changed everything. And that Pentecost story is not the typical story that you hear. It's not the story that we're going to read today that everyone associates with Pentecost. And that's okay. Uh, the Holy Spirit works in whatever way he wants to, but we see the Holy Spirit work in the way that I experienced post-Pentecost, right? But the Holy Spirit was working in people before that, too, right? We see, you see all these theologians trying to argue whether the Holy Spirit would be indwelling in people before Pentecost or maybe just come on people like he did with Daniel and Samson and Saul, right, for what they needed in the moment, and then Spirit would leave. We don't know, but we know that he was working and moving. And so my story is different than your story is different than your story. And that's okay and that's good. No story needs to look the same. And the story today in Acts is important for us to know. It's really important for us to know. But the reason that I think we, we absolutely need to know it is not to indicate this is when the Holy Spirit started working, but to indicate this was our turning point. That's why this story is important to us. It was a turning point. Not a beginning, not an end. Just a turning point. So hopefully our minds are a bit more settled. Um, I think this is kind of a heavy sermon to end with. Pentecost is very joyful, but it's also really intense. So we're going to move into talking more about the Spirit, and so I want us to kind of get in the zone. And if your mind already went to the place of times that you've interacted with the Spirit and you've been just rocked to the core, stay there. Stay there the entire sermon. That's the mindset we want to be in. So let me pray for that before we move on. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be here today. I thank you for each person who decided to come to church tonight. I thank you for each heart that is unsure if they're ready to, to understand you more, ready to, to ask for your, for your guidance in their life. And I pray that you just break them tonight. I pray that you sit with each of us, with our own stories, with the own, our own ways of knowing you, of loving you, of being with you. And Lord, I pray that you take my, my nervousness, my anxiety, my lack of confidence, Lord, and turn it into something under your authority that is good. Uh, please just move me aside. They didn't come for me, they came for you. In your name we pray, amen. So, I know we've been talking a lot about the Holy Spirit, and for some of you, this may be the most sermons you've ever heard about the Holy Spirit in your entire life, unless, of course, you grew up Pentecostal, charismatic. Uh, and you may be done, right? You can't believe that I just came up here and told you we're doing one more sermon on the Holy, Holy Spirit, right? 
But if you think that, have you stopped to ask yourself why? You see, I think it only seems like a lot of sermons because churches rarely do it. It's kind of like the same concept of when we introduce sermons on women. Like, sure, okay, let's do Esther and Ruth, but do we really have to do Deborah too? (laughs) Right? Everyone, we do have to do Deborah. But... But that's, it's, it's this side pocket, right? It's not, it's not completely integrated into the entire life cycle of the church or of the faith of the church. And so when we talk about the Holy Spirit, it seems like we're talking about this. It needs to be like this. And so when we do it, it's overwhelming for us and we just want to move past it. And I know churches do this. We do one sermon series and we move on. And I am currently describing the state that we are in, right? But there's a catch. Here at the table, the purpose of doing this sermon series is to either introduce or reintroduce the Holy Spirit to all of us. And then that's it. We want to move on from this point. I'm not in charge, but if it were up to me, we wouldn't do an entire sideline sermon about the Holy Spirit again because the Holy Spirit should be a part of everything that we do. He is not a side God. He's not an option. So that is why it's draining for us. We want to take the story in Acts and mimic what the followers of Jesus did within our lives and within our church. So, so what is this turning point that we call Pentecost? Why we celebrate this today? I know a few Sundays back, Kevin kind of did an intro to what Pentecost is. But for those of you who weren't here, and just to make sure we're all in this together, uh, Pentecost is celebrated Initially, when this happened, it was celebrated just by the Jewish people. It was a Hebrew holiday to celebrate uh, the, the reminder of, of Moses giving the instructions on Mount Sinai, right? It shows that it is <clears throat> exactly 50 days after Pentecost. That's why we, in English, use the Greek word, weird, I know, uh, to, <laughs> to describe Pentecost because that means 50 in Greek, right? It's 50 days past Passover. That's why we celebrate it. And so we get the setup. The setup to the story is not about us at the point. It's not about Christians. It's about the Jewish people going to celebrate this, this festival that they do, right? So they are coming to Jerusalem, and that gives us the opportunity now to do something else with that space. And so that's why Christians celebrate Pentecost, because something else changed on that day. It's just separate celebrations happened together, and now everyone celebrates. Uh, so that's what it is. So, Pentecost is located, the story, in Acts, which is in the New Testament. So if you have your Bibles or your phones, uh, please turn with me. It's gonna, we're going to be focusing on the first two chapters of Acts, more specifically on Acts 2, but I'll talk about Acts 1 as well because it sets it up. And Acts is in the New Testament towards the back after the Gospels. Luke wrote Acts. And it talks about the first church. So if we go to Acts 1, and I'm not going to read this verbatim, so don't worry, but Acts 1 really sets up the scene because this is where Jesus is, is leaving, right? So he's been with his disciples after the resurrection, and now he's hanging out with them, and again he's trying to tell them, listen, i got to go. They're not so smart, right? So he has to tell them all the time, listen, i got to go. And he says very specifically to them, do not... In verse 4, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. 
For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then, of course, they gathered and they said, is this when you're, re, you know, restoring Israel? Is this when you're coming back? And he's like, chill out. You don't know what I'm doing. You don't know what the Father's doing. The Spirit will come on you, and you will be my witness to Jerusalem and in all of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And Scripture says immediately after he says that, he left. And he left a group of people staring at the sky, trying to figure out what just happened. And then two men, who I presume are angels, show up and say, what are you doing? The same Jesus who left will come back when it's time. And so then they left, and they did as they were told, and they went back to Jerusalem, and they went back to their house. And they went back specifically to pray fervently. They had no idea, really, what was about to happen. They just know that this, their Savior left them again, right? And so during this time, Peter was one of the disciples. He was the disciple, if you remember, he, he said that he didn't know Jesus three times before the rooster crowed in the night that he was crucified. And it's ironic because Jesus loves Peter so much, and Peter is the one that Jesus said, my church will be built on this rock, this rock, Peter, right? My church will be built on you. Start moving. And this is where we see Peter take his ownership and so when he goes back to the house with all the disciples, he's trying to talk about all the prophecies that lead up to this point. Basically, what you saw is okay, right? This was meant to happen because they're probably losing their minds. This, this was meant to happen. And during this time, they also replaced Judas as a disciple, so they still have 12. They really love that number. Um, and so that's when we get set up to go into Pentecost. So go with me to chapter 2. And it starts with, when the day of Pentecost came, they were together in one place. Suddenly, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, so God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven were there, and when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken, and they couldn't believe it. They said, aren't these Galileans speaking our languages? How do they know these things? And it goes on to say that some of them were amazed and bewildered and in awe, and others assumed they were drunk. And so this is when Peter, this is our first sermon of the Christian church, everyone, Peter sees this crowd and he walks up. He goes, everyone, everyone, listen, listen. This is how the first Christian sermon starts. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Maybe if it was brunch time, everyone, but no, it's only nine. Peter, classic, right? And then he goes into prophecy. He says, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moons to blood before, coming, before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter continues this sermon by shaming all of them for killing Jesus and conveniently leaving himself out of that group. Um, and then 
shows them what they need to do to be saved, what they need to do to follow Jesus. And we pick that up in verse 38. It says, Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And Scripture tells us on that day, 3,000 people became followers of Jesus. And there's a lot that happened both in that room and in Jerusalem that day of Pentecost. And we could do an entire sermon just on parts of Pentecost, like the concept of language coming back together, the prophecy, the ethics of the first church, Peter's first sermon. But instead, I want to focus on two things that Scripture told us that made the followers of Jesus ready to receive the Holy Spirit as a community, ready to start that fire that burns to this day. Scripture says they prayed fervently, and they were a community. They were in one accord with each other. That's what made them ready for the Spirit to come. Everybody showed up to the party ready. Everyone was already in a posture to receive, and so they did. That's why tongues of fire touched every single person and didn't skip ahead. Everybody was ready. And my task today was to do just that, was to come in here and talk about how we can be a Spirit-filled church about showing up to the party ready together as a team. But no matter how hard I tried over the past week and a half, I sat and sat at my computer. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it because I kept thinking of all of the individual people who showed up to that room, about the same amount of people who are here now, right? All of the individual people who showed up to that room, what did they do to prepare to go? I felt talking about a spirit-filled church was skipping a step. I couldn't do it. Uh, And I've been doing sermons here since 2014, and I told myself, I've always told myself from the beginning that I'm okay, I'll survive if I have a bad sermon, okay? But I'm never going to be okay with something that is not authentic. So I couldn't come up here today and tell you about being a spirit-filled church. I just couldn't do it. So instead of focusing on how we show up ready to the party, I need to focus on how we individually get in a posture to even get invited to that party. A posture of expectation and wonder and openness and all things wild, all things that are the Holy Spirit. And why does this remain to be so hard for us, not just us in this room, but us? Why does even talking about the Holy Spirit make people so uncomfortable? I mean, we did it to ourselves, I think, in some ways, but perhaps it's also being described as a violent rushing wind. Tongues of fire is not something that you want to walk into a room and see, right? And then when denominations really picked up using the term Holy Ghost instead of Holy Spirit, we were done. Like, spirit is already scary enough. So, of course... Of course, it makes sense. People forget about him. We purposely forget about the Holy Spirit. He is wind, but we want tablets of stone. That's how our hearts work. And we're so absorbed in all the things that make us uncomfortable about the Holy Spirit, we have forgotten that there is no Trinity of God without him. 1 John 5, 7 says, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, which is Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. 
They are one. There are not three gods. There is one God who shows himself to us in different ways. When we completely cut out the spirit of God, we are cutting out a third of what God wants to do. We ignore him and then have the audacity to wonder why he's not working in our lives. And even more interesting, the only sin that Jesus says is not forgivable is sinning against the Holy Spirit. That's it. In Matthew 12, he says, Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. Jesus can throw it down sometimes, right? And I say that not to scare us, but to show us how vitally important the Spirit is. Jesus talked about him so much, and we forget about him. We know from Scripture that the Spirit is a comforter, an intercessor, a guide, a gentle convictor, and an overall interpreter for us. We know that. So how do we get the Spirit in our lives? Well, there's some good news there. The first good news is that if you're a follower of Jesus, you already have the Spirit in your life. The Spirit is already living in you as a follower of Jesus. We know, because Scripture says, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You inherited that with your love and adoration and acceptance of Jesus. So living in the Spirit is a free gift from God for anyone who trusts in Christ. But walking in the Spirit is completely up to us. Galatians 5.25, Paul talks about you live in the Spirit, but you must also walk in the Spirit. Those are two separate things. It's just like we see in Genesis where, where we, we're, we're, they're talking about making us, right? We are all the image bearers of God, but being God's likeness is a choice. Those are two different things. We decide that. We decide if we're going to walk in the Spirit. The Spirit may be living in us, but that doesn't mean we are walking in the Spirit. So I know what possibly just crossed your mind, because it's crossed mine before. If the Holy Spirit, according to Scripture is given to us freely when we accept Christ. And there's nothing that I can find in Scripture that ties walking in the Spirit to my salvation. Then why do it? Right? I don't need it to know Jesus. I don't need it to get to whatever place comes next to be with God. Why do it? Because I think that question is good because most of us can go days, weeks, months, potentially years without having any influence of the Spirit, without needing the Spirit to do anything for us. And you know what? We'll probably get by just fine. But here's the thing. None of us were made to get by just fine. What kind of a life is that, just fine? We were each created very specifically. We were created to bring heaven to earth. Just fine is not going to cut it for that. And so, 
If you also refuse to settle for fine, if you're okay with fine, you can stop listening now. Okay? No worries. I won't be offended. See you. But if you're like me and that is not acceptable, right? What do we do to get more of the Spirit in our lives? How do we position ourselves for a movement of the Holy Spirit? And I only have two things for you. And let me preface this with, I have watched, listened to, read books and sermons and talks on the Holy Spirit. It seems like endless amounts over the past few weeks. And even the people who I admire so much for the ways that they talk about the Spirit will be talking in sermons and then be like, Mm, maybe, not sure, uh, which I so appreciate because we know so little about the Holy Spirit. I know maybe, I said 7% earlier, which I think was way too high. I think it's probably more like 2% of the Holy Spirit, right? I know very little. I'm okay to say that. I don't want to know little, I, a lot. Well, there we go. I don't want to know too much, right? It's, my brain is not going to function like that. The thing is, we're not supposed to know everything. We're supposed to obey. That's our job. Um, so, and these two things, you could completely disagree with me. Fine. But just know in your thought process as you're, you're going to see if this is something that you could do also in your life or that things that you've potentially seen in other people's lives. Know that that's where this came from. Right? These are things that I've either personally experienced or ways that I've seen the Spirit moving in people I know. And that's how I've seen them go from living to walking in the Spirit. And it's just two things. The first is ask. Ask for it, simply, like a child. This morning in first service, I said that, and then afterward a parent came up to me and said, my two-year-old just started talking, and she asks for everything, but she just comes up and says, give me this. And she's like, can you maybe say please in your sermon next? And I said, mm-hmm, yep. We can go with please. So ask nicely for things. Uh, but ask for it. Ask for it from the place of simplicity. Ask for the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All of those things are things you can ask of from the Spirit of God. Spirit gives us different gifts, right? Not everyone has the same gift, but all of us can ask for the fruits of the Spirit. <sighs> Don't worry about big words when you're asking for this. Throughout Scripture, we see things like baptism, filling, anointing, convergence. Holy Spirit knows you have no idea what the word anointing means. It's cool. Okay? Just ask. That's what we need to do. We need to focus. And we see it in Scripture. Romans 8.28 tells us this already. It says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. He already knows. Don't worry about your words. And I think when we talk about the Spirit, the only way to talk about the Spirit is to talk about the Spirit in relation to how you see it coming out of other people, how you see him moving in other people. And this, whenever I think of the concept of asking for the Holy Spirit, there's only one person who comes to mind. I lived in Taiwan for six months, and I had a boss. Her name was Bethany Pang. There's no one like her on the face of the earth. And when I first showed up in this little town to help for six months, 
every other thing out of her mouth was asking the Spirit of God to move. And for my first few weeks there, I was like, this is a lot. Uh, but then I, saw, I understood as time went by, because Bethany's job was to work with, with different people groups throughout Taiwan, people groups that generally don't always come together. Her job was to make them come together and make their lives better. Her job was completely impossible without the Holy Spirit, completely she relied on him every single day, everything from small things to big things. I watched it all. And by the end of it, her faith transformed mine. I don't even know if I helped them really when I was there. Like I was there for six months, did some things, but what they did for me, transformed. Just by living their lives, just by asking the Holy Spirit to intercede. Just ask. And the next thing, kind of falls in line. After you ask for it, do the thing, right? Choose to follow him. If you're going to ask for it, you better do it. I think a lot of people get overwhelmed when they think about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit can move in their lives because growing up, I always equated, like many of us, the Holy Spirit with speaking in tongues, right? Like that was it. And so I was like, okay, no spiritual gifts for me. Um, but, but I think we set us up, so ourselves up for failure because we think Holy Spirit equals constant miracles, constant. And, and then that kind of pushes me away from doing it or that kind of sets me up for failure when I try to enter into that space. It's the same way that we set up people for failure with love. We talk about love like it needs to be butterflies all the time. Anybody who's ever been in love knows that that's absolutely not true, Right? It's a choice. I have a friend, a close friend in Chicago. For the purpose of our friendship continuing, she will remain nameless. But she is getting married July 21st. Big deal. Someone else I know goes to my home church where they both go. And their first date was Valentine's Day of this year. You're doing the math right. Yes. It just happened. And so she called me and told me this, and I was like, hmm? Uh, they've, to be fair, they've known each other for five years, and they've been in the same CG, blah, 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 blah. But they just started dating Valentine's Day, officially. And I said, I said how, do you, how do you know you love him? Like, how did you know? And her answer was an answer that I really rarely hear. She said, well, I went to scripture and I looked to see what scripture said what love is. It's like, and I meditated over that. And I said, yes, I want all of these things with him. Yes, I want to be all of these things for this person. She's like, and then I decided to do it. I said yes to this. And she, to this day, has never had butterflies over him. But when she talks about him, She's so in love. Like, this is the same woman who I'd have to have three conversations with before she'd agree to even text a guy she met online. Like, and there is no nervousness in her voice. There's just this assurance that this is the choice she's making, and she's so thrilled about it. And I feel like when we do that, when we ask for the Spirit, when we start walking in the Spirit, that sets us up for what is about to happen. 
I'm so freaking excited for their marriage because they're both walking into this thing like, yes, let's do this. This is going to be hard. It's okay. I'm not basing anything on butterflies. That's what we do. We ask for it, and then we choose to follow him. I uh, shared my story in the beginning for two reasons. You know, one, to illustrate that the way that the spirit works in me is not going to be the same way that he works in you throughout history, right? Either when the spirit was just anointing people and then leaving, or post-Pentecost where there's this indwelling where the spirit is ours with our, our belief and trust in Christ. And that's okay. There are no two alike situations, and there shouldn't be. We're all unique. But also, the main reason I told you, and this one I'm sure of, I'm not sure about a lot of things, but I'm sure about this. Every Christian, every follower of Christ, needs to have their own Pentecost. That's incredibly important. You need to have this period, this turning point for your faith. If your faith is based off of your works, if your faith is based off of what your parents believe, if your faith is based off rituals of going to church, that is not going to help you survive. If this church, the Table Church in particular, is not rooted in the spirit, those doors at some point will close. We can only do things on our own accord for so long. You can only do things on your own accord for so long. Spirit is vital. Every Christian needs their own Pentecost. And that may freak you out. It's okay. The rule doesn't come from me, right? Don't get mad at me. Go to this Bible. See for yourself. This is not about me telling you something you need to do. This is about me figuring out how we live life to the fullest. I don't want just a fine life. If you are a Christian or follower of Jesus and you have not had an encounter with the Spirit that has left you wrecked in many ways in the best way possible. Please do these things, as simple and silly as they sound. Please come to us and pray. <laughs> Let us pray over you. That's what the church is for. We need to be doing that. If this is something that you desire in your life, come even during communion. I'll be up there. Other people will probably be up there with me. We'll pray for you. This is so important. We're about to end, but I hope, just like the Pentecost, for that, those 120 followers of Jesus, that this is not the end of your musterings with the Spirit, that this sermon series doesn't end your inquiries into who he is and how he can be a part of your life. But either it's a beginning or a turning point for all of us as individuals, and then we can talk about us as God's collective people. Then, not now. So I'm going to close by using excerpts of a song that I love. It's called Spirit Move. Uh, as our prayer. If it's okay, I'm going to pray it on behalf of myself and all of us uh, as we close. And I hope as I do this, spirit's moving back there, huh? <laughs> I hope as I do this, every eye is closed. I grew up super evangelical. I try to shed those things, you know, as I grow, but there are still some roots in me that, you know, deep in my belly. And part of that is, is touch. 
And I know not everyone likes to be touched, and that's totally fine, or is not able to touch anybody, but there is something that happens when we all sing together. There is something that happens when we're a collective. And there is something that happens when we lay hands on each other, and we actually connect. Also, side note, you all need at least seven personal touches a day to be a healthy individual, I think, according to science, right? So we need personal touch, and it's totally fine. So if you are able, um, during this prayer, if you're sitting next to someone, if you could just touch a shoulder, like something that is not too intimate, but to show that this is not just about us, like we want to be this collective at some point. It starts here, but it moves. It has to move. So I'm going to close this out, and then we'll go right into our communion song. Okay, please join me as we pray. Lord, we feel it in our bones. You are about to move. You said you would pour out your spirit. You said you would fall on sons and daughters, so come. So like the rain, come and drench us in your love. We are fixed on this one thing. It's to know your goodness and to see your glory. We're transformed by this one thing, to know your presence and see your beauty. We can see it now, Lord. Your kingdom come. We can hear it now, the sounds of heaven. You said that if we ask, we'll receive. Father, we are asking for the greater measure. Spirit, move. We're ready for you. Spirit, come and do what only you can do. Amen. Mm -hmm.